You're listening to the BCHL Podcast, the official podcast of the BCHL. Into the goal, he scores! He scores! And they just win by four! Driving to the net, he scores! From his backhand to his forehand, a shorthanded breakaway. Right in, scores! Shoots his one, third hand, Good morning, good afternoon, good night. Scores! Ozar wins it! Overtime winner! Now, here's your host, Jesse Adamson. Hey there, welcome to the BCHL Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Adamson. We're back with another episode for you here with another two interviews. Uh, we have one brand new interview and another one from our archives. On this week's episode, we speak with Kent Johnson, who was recently selected fifth overall at the NHL draft. Of course, Johnson is a BCHL alumnus. He's a former trail smoke eater and currently headed into his sophomore season at the University of Michigan. And our second interview is with a hockey legend, a former Women's Team Canada Olympic goaltender and the first woman to ever play in an NHL game. Manon Réaume. First up, we catch up with Johnson, who is fresh off the draft, as I mentioned, and also recently participated in Team Canada's summer camp ahead of the 2022 World Junior Tournament. We talked to Johnson about his draft experience, his time at the Team Canada camp, and of course, we bring it back to the BCHL to talk about some of his influences from the league. Let's not waste any time, and let's hear from Kent Johnson. All right, Kent, first of all, congratulations uh, on the draft. You're selected fifth overall by the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, Just curious what kind of feelings were going through your head uh, when you heard your name called when you were taken by Columbus there? Yeah, thank you. And uh, yeah, I don't don't really, couldn't really describe it too well. Just um, obviously it's something uh, I dreamed of. And yeah, in the moment, obviously I couldn't couldn't describe it at all. It just uh, meant so much to me to have all my family and friends there. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that as well. Um, obviously, the the draft was virtual this year and uh, for the second year in a row. So you were set up at your family's home. It looked like a, a camera on you for the broadcast. It looked like the immediate family was with you on the couch, but uh, a lot of other people there, too. So maybe just describe the scene there, who was all there and, and what was that situation like? Yeah, no, it was actually at my uh, my uh, best friend's house. Uh had a nice spot for it. So went there and yeah, immediate family aunts, uh, aunts, uh, uncles there too. And, uh, you know, some old coaches and a lot of my friends. So, uh, yeah, just a uh, great support staff and obviously couldn't have done it without all them. Yeah. Did it maybe make it a little bit more special? I know ideally you'd like to be in the building and, and get to go up on stage, but I guess a, a silver lining was that you probably wouldn't have been able to be alongside all of those people there. So is that a, a bit of a silver lining for you as well? Yeah, definitely. You want to take the positives and uh, obviously in-person draft would have been great too, but uh, it was really, really special. So you obviously had conversations with all the teams picking in and around the top 10 or 15. Uh, Did you get a sense that the Blue Jackets were interested ahead of time? Yeah, definitely. I had a really good call with them and, uh, you know, just uh, just hearing some things, uh, you know, like we thought uh, that was a really, really good chance on the day. So uh, I was just super happy when when it worked out. 
So obviously draft projections aren't 100% accurate. That's why they're just projections. Uh, but, but most of them had you going anywhere from 5 to 10. A lot of the experts had you in that 8 or 9 range. Uh, was it a little more satisfying uh, going a little bit earlier than maybe some people had projected? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I think, yeah, for a while there, uh, you know, I kind of felt like some of the projections, I didn't really love where, where I was and didn't really agree with them. And, you know, a lot of people close to me didn't either. So, uh, wasn't, wasn't really, uh, I kind of thought I could maybe go higher than I was projected. And it was definitely, uh, really nice that it happened. It's obviously early and you, you've just become a member of their organization, but when you look at that Columbus roster and their prospects and stuff like that, how do you see yourself fitting into their system and, and their overall plan? Yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, they've done a lot of great things lately with, uh, their moves, you know, acquiring, uh, some nice young guys. And then obviously, you know, it's huge that they locked up, uh, Wierenski there long-term. So, uh, definitely some, some bright spots. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, yeah, wherever, wherever they want me will be great. So after you were selected and you knew you were going to the Blue Jackets, what were those conversations like with the team? Like how has the communication been, uh, with the team since, since you got picked by them? Yeah, uh, just right away, like uh, the GM called and said uh, how happy they were to have me. So uh, that obviously meant a lot. And then, you know, talked to some people, you know, the player development staff. And uh, yeah, it's just really cool to kind of have them in my corner now. And obviously they, they want to help develop me into the best player I can be. So uh, it's just uh, really nice to have them in my, in my corner. So it was a banner year for your school, the University of Michigan. Uh, four of the top five picks either played there last year or are committed there for next season. Um, when you when you take a look at that, it's it's a pretty unique situation. What does it say about the program that you guys have there? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, really unique, and uh, I'm really happy for those guys. And um, yeah, it's just super exciting, honestly, to to be going back uh, to Michigan with a group like that. So. Uh, yeah, it's just uh, obviously speaks a lot to, uh, to the Michigan hockey brand. Yeah, just following up on that, I, I don't know if it's 100% set in stone, but it sounds like all four of those uh, top five picks will be with the team next year. So when you're looking ahead and thinking about how next year could be uh, for the Wolverines, how excited are you to, to get back with such a strong team? Yeah, no, totally. I mean, we had a great team this year, but uh, I think we can take another step. And I'm um, just yeah, really excited to get down there. Uh, so I know it's been a busy few weeks for you uh, since the draft, obviously, with everything that went on with that, the preparation, doing media, interviewing with teams. But since then, you were also a part of Team Canada's summer camp for the World Juniors. Uh, what was that experience like uh, getting to to kind of group with those players? Yeah, it was so much fun. Obviously, a uh, really high competition level there. And uh, yeah, I just I think, you know, really good, good, uh, good opportunity for me to, to you know, improve my game and uh it was just really fun to play there. And I know it's quite a ways away and, and a lot can happen from, from now until then, but uh, what would it mean to you to, to make that roster and get a chance to represent your country at a tournament like the world juniors? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I've dreamed of it since I was a kid and that's something I, I definitely have my eyes on for, uh, for this December. So I'm really excited to, to go for that. So there's a, a lot of teams that, uh, that aren't holding uh, development camps this year. I'm not sure if Columbus is planning on that or not, but uh, is, is there anything that you have in the plans in the next few weeks before you go back to school or is it just uh, preparation for the college season? Yeah, no, sadly, uh, no, no camp for me to go to in Columbus this year, but uh, yeah, just, uh, yeah, just, just preparing to, to go back to school here. 
And then just uh, to finish up, I wanted to bring it back to the BCHL. Your coach uh, while well, you were in trail is Jeff Tambellini, uh, BCHL alumni, uh, former NHL player, former Michigan Wolverine. Uh, I know he had a big part in your development during your time in the BCHL. Uh, so now that you've kind of accomplished what you have so far and you're at where you're at in your NHL career, what, what does that relationship mean to you when you kind of look back at what you've accomplished so far? Yeah, I mean, definitely he's, uh, he's helped so much and, you know, we're obviously, uh, going to stay in touch and he's probably, probably, uh, you know, we're going to keep our relationship going and it's just uh, super nice to have, to have that relationship with them. Well, Kent, uh, I know you've been busy, so really appreciate you taking the time to chat. Um, best of luck at school next year and then going forward with your pro career. Great. Thanks so much. Huge thank you to Kent Johnson for joining us. And again, congratulations to him on his NHL draft selection. Next up, we go to our second interview, and that is with Manon Réaume. Most people are familiar with Réaume from her time spent with the women's national team, suiting up for Team Canada at World Championships and at the Olympic Games. But she's also very well known for being the first female to suit up for an NHL game when she dressed for the Tampa Bay Lightning and got into some action during a preseason game in 1992 and again in 1993. But beyond that, we actually originally spoke with her for an NHL Bloodlines feature. Her nephew, Nick Rayom, plays for the Prince George Spruce Kings and her brother, Pascal Rayom, is a former NHL player who won a Stanley Cup with the New Jersey Devils. In this interview, we talk about her relationship and her influence on her nephew, but also we'll get into detail with her career and her experiences with the women's national team, playing with the men, and also how she influenced a generation of female hockey players. So without further ado, here is our interview with Manon Rayon. So I guess first thing I'll ask you is, um, like, what do you remember about how Nick got involved in hockey at an early age? Like, did it, do you, do you remember how he took to it right away? How did that kind of get all started? Uh, obviously I think his father playing in the NHL and spending basically every, um, day watching him or is being at the rink when he played, like to me, that's probably like one of the biggest reasons why he, he wanted to get involved. And I think in our family, uh, we were the three of us playing at a young age. And if we were not playing, we were at one of our siblings games. So I think that myself and my brothers doesn't know any better than being at the ring <laughs> seven days a week. So I, I believe like it, it just trickled down to the three of his kids. Like he's got two daughters and a son and the, the three of them played the game. So um, it just, I think the love of the game and being around the game. So obviously his dad was a big influence on, on him. Um, I, I've told there's some, some similarities between Pascal and Nick. When, when you get a chance to watch Nick play, do you notice some similarities between them as well? Yeah, absolutely. And not only on the ice, but off the ice. <laughs> we always, you know, my mom and I always talk about how they can be so the same, like off the ice too, and the, and the way they do things. So uh, it's funny that uh, I'm not surprised to see. It's almost like I'm seeing my brother sometimes skating, especially since Nick grew a lot. And I think he went through the same thing that my brother, where 
um, Pascal was really small, his first year band camp, like to a point where you never think that he would made it anywhere. And then he grew so fast and like within a year and ended up being 6'2". Um, and that's when people really, he was a late bloomer. And I think it's a lot like Nick. So, so beyond Pascal, I know Nick's older sisters, as well as you, uh, were influences on him as well. Uh, what can you say about the influence that some of the women in his life had on him? Oh, I, I just think that having this both sister play and loving the game and, you know, the, it was a huge influence. And at the time that Nick started to play, girls hockey was a lot bigger and, you know, they have more girls team. And so it was not like, okay, they were the only girl playing with the boys. So I think that girls hockey, he's been around girls hockey <laughs> growing up. So Pascal won a Stanley Cup with New Jersey in 2003. I know Nick was only a year old, so doesn't he obviously doesn't remember it. But uh, what do you remember about that time and maybe what it meant to, to you and your family? Uh, it was just amazing uh, because Pascal never got drafted in the NHL, got invited to New Jersey, and he was a role player and he had to work his way to making the team and you know what was really he was a really good defensive player a playmaker and he was really good at taking face off and he understood that having a role on a team and whatever you're the best at really like uh focus on that uh, was important and i remember him taking all the important face off in the Senate Cup final. So not only was there, but he was a big part of the team. And sometimes was just to take a face off and coming off the ice. And he was really good at understanding his role. And I think that's what made him successful. He won a Stanley Cup. He won the Calder Cup. Not many players that are not drafted <laughs> can say like they accomplished that in the NHL. So it was really cool. Or I don't know how many, I don't have the stat, but it's not something that, you know, you see often. So now that Nick is playing junior hockey, um, like, do you get a chance to watch him play often? What kind of growth have you seen in his game over the years uh, as you've been watching him? You know, I, to be honest with you, I have not had the chance to see him as much uh, because of the season this year. Obviously, the few times uh, that we can get online between me coaching the girls teams and both my kids playing. And sometimes it's just really hard. I just happened to see a game um, the other night, actually uh, part of his game the other night. And what I like is obviously it's a big body out there and he uses size to his advantage and um, he's a good playmaker. That's what I remember because they live in Michigan for a couple of years. I think a year I got the chance to see him and that was like a big part of the strength. Like, uh, and that's kind of like my brother. So d during your career, whether it was in junior or was it, or whether it was in professional, uh, you were often playing on the men's teams. What, what kind of challenges did that present for you uh, playing with, with the, with the guys some of the time? I think the biggest thing for me, um, when I was on the ice, I was just on the ice. It didn't matter if I was with women or with the men, with the national team. Obviously, I was with the women, with professionally with the guys. Like when you're on the ice, you're on the ice. You're there to stop the puck, and 
Uh, the only difference for me was the play was different with the body checking versus no body checking for a goaltender. It's a totally different game. It sounds crazy to say, but it is. <laughs> um, and know the girls hold on to the puck longer and obviously the strength, they're not as strong as the guys. So the shots are a lot faster on the men's side versus the women's side. So um, for me, the biggest thing was to adjust to both the timing and the style of play when I was going back and forth. But when I was on the ice, like it was just the difference too. It's obviously with the woman, I, I was part of the team bombing in the locker room before the game, after the game, where with the guys, I had my own locker room. I, I would come in like a few minutes before puck drop and um, just in the locker room for the coach to talk. So it was a little different that way. And on the road, obviously by myself a lot. Um, but when I, I felt like when I got on the ice, um, it was just the same. So the, the most famous instance of that is obviously when you played uh, the NHL preseason with Tampa Bay um, in the early 1990s. What was that experience like for you? It was like probably one of the most amazing experience uh, going through, obviously, anybody that goes to a camp like this, um, you do feel the pressure and being the only girls there and having a lot of attention on me I knew that every move I would do um people would talk about it I'm so happy it was not during um social media like we are now <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> I had fan mail waiting for me over there like people had to write to me back then that was a little different so uh I'm glad I didn't have to deal with Twitter and Instagram but it was a, it was a lot of pressure, and um, but it was also just the most amazing. Like every time I think back, I can relive those moments. I can feel how I felt back then, and uh, I knew that first time I stepped on the ice was probably the most important time. And we were starting with a mini tournament, and my first time I stepped on the ice, I did not allow any goal in the period that I played in fourteen shots, and um, it's really what you know like I gained the respect of the the players and the coaching staff and even the media because everybody was waiting to see if I was going to be able to stop the puck um and to me that was like a turning point in the camp and after that I you know I had so much more confidence it's truly the reason why um they started me in an exhibition game because I was able to all my like I played well in the mini tournament I finished in a with the third best average of all the goalies there. Um, so they would have not, never put me in the game if, if I didn't perform, you know, during that time. And I think looking back, it's, it's one of the things I think people back then were not talking about. They were mostly talking about, oh, you know, she's the first woman to play, it's a new team and all that stuff. Not talking about like she actually had to perform in camp to start that game. So beyond that, you also competed uh, internationally for Team Canada. Uh, you were part of the Olympics, uh, the Women's World Championships. Uh, what was it like for you to get to represent your country in those tournaments? Uh, it was the most amazing experience. Like I, I'd say it's hard for me when people said the Tampa Bay Lightning or the Olympics, which one is the best? And I said, they're both equally <laughs> absolutely amazing because I think it's a different uh, thing. Um, you know, when you got the chance to represent a country. I remember as a kid watching the Olympics and every time Canada would come out, like you just had that pride and, and I had butterfly in my stomach just watching it. So now you're there and you're at the opening ceremony or you're on the ice and you know, you're like, 
you're presenting your country. So it was just a, an absolutely amazing experience. And also was the first time that the initial players were the, was there. So when you have Wayne Gretzky <laughs> watching your game, it's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so with your international experience and as, as well as the exposure you got uh, when you were playing uh, men's hockey, you, you've become one of the most famous women's hockey players in history, which means a, a lot of girls looked up to you coming up. Uh, what does it mean to you to know that you played such an important role uh, in women's hockey and, and motivated some of the best women's players along the way? I, it's probably the most satisfying thing um, from everything that I did to know that my story was able to unpack um, young girls uh, to follow their dreams or even people in general. I heard along the way that even guys that play in NHL, when they younger than me, they saw me uh, then and said, if a woman can do it, I can do it too. So um, it's really cool to, to learn that along the way because when I went there, I had no idea that doing this would change my life and would really affect other people's lives. Um, so it, it took me years to really realize what I did was a big deal. And um, then just listening to the parents saying like, you're such an inspiration for my daughter or my son did a project on you in school. Um, it, I had to say it's probably the most satisfying thing, even more than having done it myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, last question for you and we'll bring it back to Nick. Um, I, I know Nick is hoping to, to get a scholarship and go to the NCAA to play, uh, eventually play professionally. That's kind of the route that, uh, BCHL players, um, that's their ideal route is college and then the pros. Um, so when you were coming up, uh, and your brother, the, the typical path for Canadian kids was, was almost always major junior so what can you say about his choice to take the college path and, and maybe why that's uh, a better choice now than than it was when you were playing no i think it's a great choice my son has, did the same thing too um you know taking that choice it's a i think the hockey players when you you realize that you know it's uh you're not going to play the rest of your life hockey you have a lot of life after hockey and having that degree and having um a different like kind of planning looking after hockey when you're younger, I think it's really, really important because um, like, especially today, I think that it's shorter and shorter the, the amount of years that you play in the NHL. Not many guys are playing for a long time. And um, to have something to fall back after it's important. And I think the college, uh, the experience in college and the playing for your team and it helped to the kids to develop even more physically uh, you play against older players, you play, uh, you get the chance to train more off-five because you only play two games every weekend. I think often a lot of kids um, coming into the NHL after four years playing college hockey are more prepared and sometimes, as, and not all the time, but sometimes as more success um, right away instead of like taking longer. Okay, well, thank you so much, Manol. That's that's all I got for you. Was there anything you wanted to add about uh, anything we talked about, or, or are we okay? No, that I'm really proud of what he's doing, and it's great to see him. It's fun to following him. I I love uh, knowing what's going on. We we text a lot. We follow each other on social media, and it's uh, it's really uh, I'm really proud of him. And uh, um, you know, he really I think the last few years developed to a, a different players and. Uh, He's got a goal, and uh, I want him to achieve it.
Once again, thank you very much to Manon Leon for joining us for the interview a few months ago when we were putting that Bloodlines feature together and we were excited to share the full interview with you uh, on the podcast. All right, that's going to wrap things up for this edition of the podcast. Thanks again to both of my guests, Manon Réaume, who you just heard from, and Kent Johnson, who you heard from at the top. A huge shout out goes to our producer, Greg Ballack. Thank you for putting this thing together. This will likely be our last podcast of the month of August, but uh, we plan on coming back and relaunching in September and going back to the once a week format that we were doing uh, all of last season. If you're looking for something to read, head over to bchl.ca. We've started our next generation feature where we speak with the coaches and go through each team's new recruits and new acquisitions via trade. Uh, It's an in-depth look at each team's roster and the additions that they've made. Uh, So far this week, we've published the Alberni Valley Bulldogs and interviewed coach Joe Martin, as well as the Chilliwack Chiefs and an interview with Brian Maloney. We'll continue this feature next week with Coquitlam and Cowichan and run alphabetically through the rest of the league until we finish all 18 teams. I know we're in the dead of the offseason right now, but uh, we're still producing a lot of content on our website and uh, on our social media channels. We have top five goals uh, montages running for each team, so be sure to check all that out. And although we're still in August, uh, the preseason is right around the corner in September. And before you know it, it'll be opening night, which is on October 8th. So stick with us. Uh, Thanks a lot for listening. Really appreciate it. And we will talk to you again in September. 